the volume. This Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to make every moment more than with FanDuel. They're America's number one sportsbook for a reason, y'all. It's so easy to use. It's safe and secure. That's one of the main things for me. I don't want any BS. I love that there's no BS with FanDuel. Plus, you get your winnings fast. Now winnings are delivered in as quick as two hours. Plus, it's super fun to combine multiple bets from the same game into a same-game parlay. It's awesome. So if you are new, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee, that's R-E-N-E-E, so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, Wyoming, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona 18887897777 or visit ccpg.org/chat for Connecticut 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com/rg for Colorado, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, New Jersey, Pennsylvania and Virginia 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY for New York Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789 and 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming. Visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to the sessions. I have on a pretty fascinating dude today. Oh my gosh. I was so excited when I was like realizing just who exactly I'm sitting down with and talking to and like doing a deep dive on this guy's history. It's fascinating. He's done it all. My guest today is Ramin Karamloo. Um, He is a Canadian actor, singer, composer. Um, He is theater. He's done it all from Phantom of the Opera, Les Miserables, uh, Anastasia, Love Never Dies to his current role on Funny Girl. He has been there and done it all as well is combining the world of theater with professional wrestling and doing the show The Last Match, starring the one, the only Matt Cardona, um, which now they've added on other dates to that. So November 14th, uh, there's going to be two shows that day in Jersey City. Um, if you follow Ramin or Matt Cardona, of course, you're going to be able to find all of that information. But this guy's just so cool. I mean, looking at all the things he's been able to do as a performer in the world of theater and, and television, all of those things as an actor, like this guy has done it all yet remains so humble and interesting and like eager to learn and like do the best job to his abilities. He does not just like sit back and rest on his laurels. The man just keeps on knocking down doors. Um, so yeah, I was super pumped to have him on. I just think it's so cool talking to people from like, it's a different walk of life, but it's also just so similar, especially in like the professional wrestling world. I think that it's, it's all kind of like, you know, the same sort of shade of gray in terms of like what your body goes through physically, mentally, doing shows, preparing, having that like, you know, you talk about like being like in ring shape. I think that the same is true to doing a theater show and getting like your voice and your body to where it needs to be. So I think there's definitely like a big mutual respect or should be between like the theater world and professional wrestling. Very, very cool. And I'm kicking myself that I did not get to see the last match when it was happening. Um, But now I'm so pumped to know that there's some more shows coming through because I'm dying to see this. How freaking cool. And Funny Girl. Oh my gosh. Guys, the Funny Girl drama. Was I swirled up in this? You better believe I was. Beanie Feldstein, Leah Michelle, 
what's happening, who's the leading lady. Ramin was there the entire time, right in the thick of it. We talked about it a little bit, but you know, obviously you can't really say too, too much. Anyways, this guy rules. Let's get into it, guys. This is Ramin. I'm so excited to have you here on the sessions. I, I feel like I always like open a show saying that and it's like a, a thing that you just kind of like say to do the show. No offense to my past guests. I love them all. But legit, I am like so pumped to do this interview. You've done everything. Holy moly. What a life you've lived. Uh, well, it's, it's great to hear it back, but sometimes you still take it not for granted, but I still feel green as ever, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, Okay, so we're still in the month of October and for the month of October, we've been doing like sort of like scary sessions interviews. Um, So we won't fully go down that rabbit hole, but I do feel like just like the ambiance of the setting where you are right now, it's like a foggy, moody day. You spend a lot of time in theaters, of course. Theaters are notoriously very haunted. Do you have any kind of scary stories or like haunted stories? Well, not really, because I try and keep myself away from being caught up by a ghost, you know, because I'm a bit of a pussycat when it comes to stuff like that, especially like quiet theaters or if I'm leaving late. Oh, no, no, no. I don't like it at all. I remember I was on tour with Pirates of Penzance and we were in uh, Glasgow in Scotland. There was a piano room on the very top floor. And I remember I went up there, started playing it. And I was like, where is everyone? Why is it so quiet? I just felt like this cool, I don't know if I was just, you know, because there was ghost stories. You felt this chill, but I don't know if I was just making up my head, but I must have broke world records getting back to my dressing room. (laughs) (laughs) Theaters can be so creepy. So John and I just did a ghost tour of Cincinnati and we ended in one of the old theaters that they're now revamping. They're putting like millions of dollars in to like really redo it. But it was just so creepy. We're like down in the basement where the dressing rooms were. Then we're like up in the mezzanine and we had the little like energy meter tracker things. It was like going nuts the whole time. Um, So yeah, theaters can be creepy, creepy places. A lot of history there. My 18-year-old is over from England for a month. So on the 30th, I'm going to take him to one of these haunted house, in, like live action haunted house things. Those are great. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> well, there's like the ones that you have to like sign a waiver for sometimes too, where they like grab you. No. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> not for you. <laughs> Where's the safe? What's the safe word? I'm out. I know, right? Pomplamoose. I don't want to play this game at all. Okay, well, listen, well, we don't have to get into to too many scary stories. I just thought maybe with your time in theaters that like maybe you'd like look through a mirror while you're getting ready and there's like a child behind you or some kind of Renee, horrifying that situation. Ever, <laughs> that ever happened. That's it. I'm done. Show's <laughs> over. The show's over. I have retired. And I mean, damn, you played the Phantom of the Opera. So like you were the ghost. I was the ghost. That's right. You were the ghost. <laughs> um, okay. Of course, I was very excited um, finding out that you were Canadian. I love my Canadian people. What are like the big differences of like growing up in Canada to like where your life is now, especially like in like the theater world? When I grew up, this was before social media and all these noisy distractions so we I actually I always say I always had a childhood and I'm a country boy at heart I know I got the city behind me and I'm very grateful for what the city offers me but I just want to live on a farm I want to live quiet life away from all this and it's such a you need this to have the other but I don't have time to have the other because I'm always doing this um so <laughs> I loved growing up in Peterborough Ontario you know it was that 
sort of town where my buddy's backyard, they would rink it every, every, uh, oh, the best. I was always so jealous of those kids that had those yeah, and had floodlights. Like his dad, Mr. Webb would just go all out. He had the blue lines, the red lines, the OHL donated actual nets. And that was, that thank was, you. The Pete's Peterborough Pete's. I would lace up at home and take the back pass. I was in skates the whole way. Whoa, that's great. That's so cool. Peterborough is really beautiful. I grew up in Ajax, so about like 45 minutes west of there. I'd move back in a heartbeat given the chance. It's funny. I find like as like we get older too and can kind of reflect on the childhoods that we did get to have growing up in Canada and growing up like outside the city. I definitely look at it with, um, you know, rose colored glasses at this point. I feel I'm like, oh my gosh, we really had it good. Again, before all the social media, before all these other things that were happening, it was nice to just like be those kids that could skate in the backyard and enjoy actually doing things. Never had to worry about locking your doors. Never. I still, I'm still really bad for that. Yeah, I don't lock this door over here, but high up. Who's gonna, I'm like, if you get this high, well, you can have what you want. <laughs> yeah, if you made it up this far, bring it. We can do it. Um, okay, so you were actually born in Iran. Um, you're, you know, obviously you're a very proud um, Iranian man. Um, what was it like when you guys fled Iran? Do you have any memories of that? No, because I was literally just born. I was months old when we fled Italy. But, you know, I only have to turn on the TV now to see what's happening. And history is just cyclical. And unfortunately, it is. And hopefully, this will lead to better changes to Iran that people have a freedom of choice. It's not necessarily changing religion. It's just having that freedom of choice that we all take for granted over here. So, you know, it's still part of my culture. It's still part of my DNA, even though, like... I'm not necessarily a religious man or anything like that, but just etiquette, certain customs that I find that are still innately in me. And I'm very proud being Iranian, just as much as I'm proud having a Canadian passport and British residency and now an American Greek card. You get the best of all the worlds. You get a little flavor of everything. Yeah, there's, it's equally charming and equally confusing. <laughs> especially when you're traveling, you're like, which passport do I use right now? You feel like a James Bond. Yeah, but it's also especially at this age where identity, I, I think we're all trying to seek out who we are more than ever because of said mm-hmm. social media and all this noise and fast-paced life we're living. And I'm like, what am I? So I'm going through that at this age, you know, so it you try and figure all that because you work so hard and you travel so much and you just think, what's it all about? What's it all for? You know, what have you landed on while you're thinking about that now? I just right now I haven't landed on anything apart from I'll do what I need to do to make sure my my boys have a good future. You know, also teach them to follow your passions. And that's where like, ironically, this wrestling thing has been pretty amazing. And it's not just another job or something that's interesting. It's like working with off on Bull James and working with Matt and wrestlers, just where they've come from and their stories and how earthy and grounded they are because of what wrestling requires as humans. And also, you know, Vicious Vicky and Tina working with them and Mickey James, hearing her story, especially her recent post she did and like what that costs you as a person and what you contributed for people. And as an artist, it's very similar. There are such parallels between what you do, between being in the theater. I mean, I think, I mean, so many jobs require so many different things from you, but I think as a performer as well, and especially with theater, I mean, with you guys doing what, eight shows, 
a week and then you look at a wrestling schedule and you know, whether you're training, whether you're putting on a show, there's just such a grind and it really requires a certain kind of person to fall into that life and to, to seek that life out. So I think, you know, for you to be able to draw the parallels between the two of those and now bring those worlds together with doing the last match, like what an amazing opportunity. When I started hearing about this, I was like, hold on. Like I was just so fascinated that you guys were doing this. I've also been like incredibly uh, fascinated by with what Matt Cardona has done since departing from WWE to doing death matches, to doing theater shows with you. I mean, this guy is like, I feel like he's really taking this like new lease on life to just do whatever he wants and like test your body, test your skills, test the things that you can do. So I think what you guys are doing is just so amazing. Kudos. Thank you. And that's great that you see that about him because we all saw that because it's two worlds coming together, but it all comes down to storytelling. That's what's so amazing about this last match. And you have, there's still a lot of naysayers going pro wrestling. Even some of my team are like, what are you doing that for? I'm like, you have to come see it to experience it. Because what I experienced that night, I've never experienced before. And the demographic, <laughs> the demographic of friends who came from my world, the theater world, not one had a bad word to say. To the point where I was like, you actually enjoyed that? I was shocked. And <laughs> Well, it is funny when you look at the two opposite ends of it, where theater just feels so prestigious and there's such, um, you know, there's such a respect around what happens in the theater where I think with pro wrestling, it's, you know, a lot of people can really look down their nose at it. But I think for somebody like you who has been in those situations, your body has been through what it means to perform at the level that you do. And I think for you to see the work that pro wrestlers do, I think that definitely gives everybody a nice little pat on the back. But it's all theater and it's all storytelling. And of course, there's physical ramifications. And I have a lot of supporters like, you're going to get hurt. And I'm like, ironically, playing the Phantom has given me the biggest injury of my life. My discs in my neck are ruined because of that role. So I'm like, that's not safe. I'm not going to live my life trying not to die. I'm going to live my life to live. And, you know, I don't see this as a risk because actually taking these bumps, although I remember when he, on day one. when Yeah, what was day one? What was the day one bump like? Holy jeez. The bumps weren't so bad because <laughs> Alpha and Bull are such great coaches that they knew I was trying to run before I could walk. They're like, dude, calm it down. You got to take it one step at a time. But our producer, Jeremiah, the co-creator of this, He's like, all I want is make sure you take your first chop on the first day. So I'm talking to Offer. He sent me up and he's like, so I'm like, well, what's the baby steps to take a chop? He's like, there is none. You just take a chop. I'm like, we're taking it. Where are you going to hit me? <laughs> just take me there. I was like, okay. Renee, when this shovel of a hand <laughs> hit my chest, I remember thinking, it's not fake. It's not fake. I thought this was fake. My toes curled. I felt like my whole body stiffened. I was like, this is ridiculous. And even in the match with Cardona, I had to take three and I had to no sell the third one. But by that point, I'm like, oh, dear God, I don't think I can no sell this one. <laughs> He's broke skin. But there's something, I don't know, there's something about like the physical truth that you're putting into the storytelling because I'm still playing a character. It was cathartic. And also this character and what he's going through. And there's some parallels, you know, like as artists, what you sacrifice, you know, the damage it has on marriages, the damage it has on you know, your father-son relationship or your, with your children because of distance and work without time together, 
things don't grow. Yeah. So and you know, I think, you know, I feel like the, the smarter we all kind of get and the more we can figure things like that out. Cause I mean, you, you know, you mentioned things being cyclical, but it's like, you know, we've been able to learn from the people before us in the wrestling world as performers, the people that have been on the road and trying to like strike that balance, which is not an easy thing to do. I mean, John and I are so lucky that we're both in this world and we get to travel together. We get to do all of our stuff together. But I have always felt so much for like the the wives or husbands that don't get to be on the road and don't get to experience what that's like. Because, yeah, I mean, it's definitely not easy. It's it's a huge sacrifice. And like you said, it's like your body just goes through the ringer. Um, so you come home and it's not like you're ready to get on the ground and like play with kids and like do all of those things because your your body's kind of reeling from what the past week has been like. Um but anyways, okay, so the last match, how did this all come together for you guys to really execute this? What was like the first steps of that? Well, that's something Jeremiah, his co-producer Rachel, and the composers have all been working on for ages. And so Jeremiah's standby Nick Arnstein in Funny Girl, which I'm currently in. Yeah, and you are. Nick Arnstein. <laughs> I've known Jeremiah for 20 years. Hardly had time together, but we would just see each other through the business around the world. Like, hey, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah's like the salt of the earth, one of the nicest guys. So we're hanging out in my dressing room before one show, and he's telling me about this project, this pro wrestling musical. I'm like, what? I'm a, I used to be a big pro wrestling fan. i sort of fallen off the rails, but now I'm really back into it since Triple H has taken over. And I'm good to see Bray Wyatt back. I'm like, whoa, that guy. Yes, I know. So good to see him back. It's great. So he was talking about doing a concept recording. I'm like, well, if me being part of it helps, I'm a mate. You know, I'll help mates do whatever. I'll sing a song if you want. He goes, would you do that? I was like, sure. Then he talked about doing this workshop. I was like, okay, so we'll do a little read through. He goes, yeah, maybe we'll get a ring in and maybe we'll try some things. I was like, all right. Yeah, sounds like fun. <laughs> okay. And it's slowly somehow, oh, Matt Cordona is going to come. He's going to play uh, Swagger. You guys going to have a fight. I'm like, am I? So wait, how did Matt get looped in on this? Like, how did this come? Like, how did he become aware of what you guys were doing so that he could kind of throw his name in the hat? That'd be down to Jeremiah and reaching out. Because um, he's got, he's connected with a lot of regional wrestling organization. I think ISPW in Jersey, Tommy from that, who runs like a, I think he has like a collectible shop. They connected and then Tommy helps, who is now also co-producer, and helped connect him with some of the, like, Brutus Barber, Beefcake, Demolition, folks like that who are now on board, Mickey James, to give credibility to this. Because we want to honor the wrestling world, right, as much as we want them to do the theater world, right? So I think that's how Cardona came about. And they just sent him the script. And when he was reading, and I think his partner Chelsea was reading it with him, he's like, you got to do this. And as you say, Matt's one of those guys who kind of is writing his own destiny now. He's his boss. And he's trying something new. And what's great about this is now experiencing what I experienced and now I know what he's experienced. The more naysayers we get, I know it's the right thing to do because people will naysay this or poo-poo it or talk shit about it. It's only because they don't understand it and haven't experienced it. But this is theater. And it's my, one of my favorite compliments or comments I was getting a lot after the first outing of the last match, you'd have theater folks going, well, I guess I'm a wrestling fan now. And you have <laughs> wrestling fans going, I guess I'm a theater fan now. Yeah. But uh, the common denominator, like you both love the same thing. Just because one mm. is maybe linked to more of a blue collar thing, but art is for everyone. Storytelling is for everyone. I don't care what you do in your life. When you come to th theater, we're all one. Just because there's a ring in there and we're throwing our bodies about, well, it's a dance. It's what we do, you know? 
it's no or more or less dangerous than what we do, what dancers put their bodies through every night. You know, you twist an ankle, you're done, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is really interesting just seeing the the correlation between wrestling and theater. And I always do love when someone thinks that they're not a fan of wrestling, yet they are a fan of some of these other things. You're like, if you come to this, I'm telling you, you're you're going to love this. It's big characters. Yeah. The storytelling's great. The physicality of it. Um, I just, I always find it so fascinating and I feel like my, my respect for what all these athletes do just like continues to grow. The more time I get to spend with people and the more you see like mm -hmm. curveballs thrown at people and they just have to figure it out out there. Um, who was the biggest surprise to you of somebody that, that jumped over uh, to the other side that decided they were a wrestling fan? It would be most of my cast from Funny Girl that came. How do we get Leah Michelle out to a show? Can we do that? Uh, you know, I'm working on it. I'm going to be here today. <laughs> I'm like, Leah, come on. You're going to love it. Like that's yes. it's, it's folks like that. But you know what? She's been so supportive. She's like, how was the wrestling thing? She goes, this sounds amazing. Like, so she hasn't been one of the naysayers. I'm like, we got to get you out to this. Okay. So this all happened and it's great. However, you did say before we started recording, are we getting another round of this? Just announced literally before we got on air, on air, on this podcast, I'm, November 14th, we're going to run it back and I'm, I'm going to have some more moves and uh, let's see if me and Matt can start calling the match and see what happens in the end. But Call it out there, baby. I'm ready because I'm going to start, <laughs> I was going to start training with Bull. Bull's the best, by the way. Love that guy. Because Bull and Offa are still going to be our coaches, but I got to get to the Poconos to see Offa. But I think this Thursday in Queens, we're going to start training up because I also, before they announced another round of... And it's going to be two shows on November 14th back in Jersey City. I said to Matt, I said, well, you came to our world. Come February, if there's an organization that'll have us, I'm going to try and I want to come to your world. Yes, it is only fair. I was just going to ask you, I mean, you've, you've laced up the boots, but now let's step into this other arena, step into that wrestling world. And let's really, I mean, you're shredded, you're jacked. You've got like the bod, you're ready to go do it. I feel like you have the, you obviously have the physical wherewithal to pull this off. I don't know. At 44, I kept thinking maybe it's too late to start. And my co-star, Amber, she's younger and she's flying off the ropes. I'm like, WWE will snap her up in a second. <laughs> but they were so supportive. And again, Bull and Offer were like, no, you, you got the athleticism. You can still give a good run at this. So I'm like, well, then let's give it a proper go. Let me go to his world. We'll properly train because I don't want to take this for granted. What's crazy now is when I watch SmackDown or Raw or especially uh, Extreme Rules the other week, knowing what I know, it might be scripted, but it's real bumps and it hurts. So now when I watch things, I'm like, I'm watching it even more like, oh my God, I know what just happened there. I don't know how they do it. Matt Riddle going off the top. It's scary. There's so many times when I watch my husband wrestle that I'm like cringing. Even like you said, like taking a chop. Sometimes you're out there in that arena and you hear that connection, even though it is super common. We hear it. We see it all the time. It still makes me like tense a little bit where I'm like, oh my God. Have you seen Shane and Gunther go at it? I'm like, that is not fake. That, <laughs> that's for us, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. It's crazy. Well, I cannot wait to see you step into a like real wrestling ring with a real wrestling crowd. I know you guys would have had a great combination of theater folk and wrestling folk at uh, the last match. But I think when you go to like the full wrestling crowd... Just but to the see, chance, like, the <laughs> I get the chance going, yes. I remember the second show, the one who's playing like the boss, <laughs> he was doing the scene with Matt. And what was great about the audience, they knew when to be pantomime and then when to listen. 
like I thought my duet with Amber, which is like a seven minute duet, I thought all people would check out at that point or the wrestling fans would be like, come on, where's the action? You could hear a pin drop. They came for the ride. So the respect was amazing. Oh, that's so cool. But then there was times where I'd be like, you suck. And then I love how <laughs> Matt plays the villain because he plays like the chicken shit so villain. So good. Yeah. So good. He doesn't threaten him. He's more <laughs> put off that. I don't suck. I don't suck. But then when the boss left, the crowd turned on him and all he hears, you suck too. You suck too. And to rattle him a bit. I'm like, no, this is a rite of passage. That means they. <laughs> it is a rite of passage. It's true. No, it's totally true. That's so fun. Okay, so November 14th, two shows, Jersey City. It's officially announced. It's out there. So people better snap up their tickets right away to get eyes on that. Spend a whole day there. We'll have a blast. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So great. Start the NFL week off right with a no-sweat same-game parlay every Thursday from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or you already have an account. Every Thursday night, you'll get free bets back if your NFL same-game parlay doesn't hit. Same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. I'm talking game lines, totals, spreads, player props, touchdown scorers, so many to choose from. You can build your own or choose from one of the popular same-game parlays pre-built in for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet the NFL every Thursday night with a no-sweat same-game parlay. Just sign up with the promo code Renee. And if you don't already have an account, that's promo code Renee, R-E-N-E-E, to get free bets back if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Disclaimer, 21 in select states. First online, real money wager only. Refund issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 for Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT for Indiana. 1-877-770-STOP for Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467369 for New York. TN Redline, 1-800-889-9789 for Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 for Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. So you're doing funny, girl. Congratulations. Oh my gosh. I, w- I was just in New York not that long ago, and I was like, I need to go see funny, girl. And there was two tickets left, but by the time we landed and like got to where we were going, I was like, okay, it's not going to... My, my dreams quickly uh, faded. I thought that I was going to be able to make it, and I couldn't, but I... Love that this show exists. Um, your guys' cast is just incredible. So great. How did it feel to be a part of something that just had so much like drama swirling around it for a while? That must have been really stressful on the cast. Yeah. And also, out of all the things I've read and seen, I don't tend to try and get involved with these things, especially online stuff. I'm like, no one knows. I was there in the middle of it. But, you know, it's one of those things and it's, it is what it is. It's part of the business side of things and cast changed, leads come and go. And it is what it is. I think a lot of it could have, didn't need to be said. And I don't know. I know. It's just one of those things. (laughs) You probably can't talk too much about it anyways. Well, because it's, it's been and done now and everyone's on to bigger, better things. And 
I loved everyone involved and it's just one of those things. And here we are. Yeah, here we are. I mean, yeah, I'm a fan of, of both women very much. So, um, and being able to, I, I just saw like some clips of Leah Michelle making her debut and like her voice. It, what is it like just being right next to that voice throughout the show? Cause like, good Lord. Like anyone, I always think you're tour fit or you're, you know, when I toured the band, the first couple of shows, it takes so much out of you. Then you get this like second win, you get leathered. You get, she's now show fit. And there was a switch, I think by week two, maybe by the third week, she started doing these things with her voice. I was like, oh my Lord, listen to that. And then to duet every night with her, it's like, when we do, who are you now? There's a couple of points in the show where she hits some notes and I just can't even hide the reaction. And it is what it is. And I'll never tell her which ones. Sometimes a compliment is worse than a, a, a critique. That's funny. I feel like no one ever says that, but you're absolutely right. It can be. Yeah. Once you compliment a specific moment, that moment's gone. Because then you build up to it. She did. She gave me this compliment about a comedy timing. I went to do it the next time. I was just singing about it. Like you ruined it. <laughs> she stepped on it. Yeah, you can't. You oh, yeah, you're right. You can't point those things out because then you just can't recreate. Now you're thinking about it. You're trying to like execute it the exact same way, and it's impossible if you're not feeling it that same way. You just can't. Yeah, that's that's rough. Um, okay, when did you fall in love with theater? And like, I'm always fascinated by how people like really fall in line of the work that they do. Of like, just having like a spark go off of like, oh, I like this. To then actually getting down to brass tacks and putting in the work to do this and be a, a Tony nominated performer to work on Les Mis, to work in Phantom of the Opera, to work on Funny Girl, like all of these amazing things you've done. What was that first spark for you? Phantom of the Opera. When I went on a school trip, growing up in Peterborough, Ontario, going to Toronto, I was like, oh, we're going to the city. Yes. Wait, what theater was that at? Pantages. Pantages Theater. Yes, it was. That was one of the only theater productions I ever saw in Toronto was that when I was a kid, and it was amazing. And they did the whole theater up for it. So you walk in, you're already you're in that world, you know? They did a really great job with that. And I didn't want to go, but it was who wants to see an opera? I, mean, I was playing hockey. It was, you know, mm-hmm. one of the enforcers on the team. <laughs> it was a tough guy. I don't need to go to see this, but it's a day off school. Sign me up. Then you heard Colin Wilkinson's voice, who was a fan. I was like, this voice was different. Because at this point, I'm into like Tragically Hip, uh, Tracy Chapman, Johnny Cash, Bill Cocker, these different kind of voices. I wasn't really ever into that pop world. Or it was like Public Enemy and that's that era of rap. But this was so unique. And suddenly I'm so drawn into the story, the underdog of the Phantom story. And um, by the end, I got this lump in my throat. I'm like, oh my God, I, don't wanna, I can't cry in front of these guys. <laughs> it stuck with me and I wanted to do that. And I, I remember with my hockey mates and one of my buddies, Scott McGilvery, who I, was my best buddy in high school, would always rib me about loving Phantom so much. And I was like, I'm going to become a Phantom. I'm going to become a Phantom. And I wanted to be a young Phantom. I don't know why I had that in my head. So at 26, when I got the first contract in London to be Phantom, I was like, oh man. Is that really rare? Because normally that's played by an older actor? Yeah, especially at least in London and whatnot. And at that time, because I was playing Chris and Miss Sagon, and it was the same producer, Sir Cameron McIntosh. And a week before I finished playing Chris, and at that point I was 25, and he comes to my room just like, what a great run. And we're mates at this point. Friend is friend, but he's still the boss. So I'm like, I have like a five-minute rule. Like after five minutes, we don't need to talk anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
It'll slip up. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to overstep the boundary and say something. You're like, okay, never mind. We got our moment and I'll leave it at that. So then he's like, what do you want to do next? I said, and it's almost like when he asked me, he had this smiling because as, as if he knew. And I went, I want to play the Phantom. And he goes, aren't you young? I said, yeah, but I have an idea of what I want to do with him. And he laughed and he left. Two days later, I get this envelope under the door. It's the material. See you in a week. So then I had to go work on it with them and show them what I wanted to do with it. Holy shit. Wow. What was your reaction to like get this envelope under your door and open it and realize what it was? I still get chills thinking about it because this was the dream. This was all I ever wanted to do. Like it wasn't about necessarily being an actor. I wanted to be Phantom. But I was working my way up. And at this point, I'm learning and learning my craft and... I didn't want to ever be caught out as a fraud. I'm not the best singer. I'm not the best this or that. I'm just, I'm me. And this is the story and the interpretation I'm going to do. And I always will die on my own sword. I don't really care what people think. I'd rather just do what I do. If I fail, fine. But that's on my call. I remember the first time I was about to go on, I'm sitting in a makeup chair and I'm watching Tanya put on the prosthetics and I couldn't stop laughing the whole time. Like... This is ridiculous. And I kept thinking, now what? What's the dream now? What are you going to do? Yeah, it's like almost a little bit like, okay, I said I really wanted to do this and I barked up that tree and now I get to do it and here's this opportunity and curtain's about to come up. This is my moment to go and do it. And obviously you had so much success doing that. What was it like afterwards to so early in your career achieve the goal that you had set for yourself? Was it sort of like a now what? Or did you sort of have a bit of a freedom in that, that you have already achieved the thing that you wanted to do? No, because again, like I feel, like I said, as green now as I did then, because it's sort of, well, you want to keep expanding as an actor. You don't want, I never wanted to think now I've made it. Look at me, you know, because sure. what are you going to learn from there? I was still like the way I would play Phantom now, what is it? Just under 20 years later, it would be a whole new fresh take. I'd see what I would do with it. Should we run it back? Let's run it back. I don't know. They've never asked me since. So who knows? <laughs> ever since the DVD version we did at the 25th anniversary, that was the last bow was the film I ever took. It can't get better than that at the Royal Albert Hall. Like I remember looking around, seeing people in the ensemble there, all of us celebrating this wonderful show. But I'm like, I've been a fan of all these people. Some of these actors I still look up to and I'm learning from today. And I'm like, this is crazy that I'm the guy in the mask. It's so cool. Like that just gives me like goosebumps to imagine you getting the envelope, getting the makeup on the prosthetics and like stepping out and doing it in like what a big life check mark. Holy crap. Um, what, what does it feel different performing in London? I feel like the vibe and I'm like such an outsider on this, so I could be totally wrong. But I feel like theater in the UK especially is like very prestigious. Does it feel different when you're there performing? as opposed to being on Broadway? I feel like it's a little more commercial here. Commercial in the sense of like how the business runs, because there's so much, there's much more like theaters. And there, there's an element of like the plays and they still love musicals there. But it is, a, it's just a smaller community. Um, I love the work over there. I love the actors over there and I love the training that comes out from over there. Says the guy who's never trained in his life, but I'm learning from my peers, you know, all these years. I don't want to even say there's something a bit more humble out there, but here it's like the bright lights and you look at Times Square and all this theater being promoted and whatnot. Over there, it's a bit more underplayed. 
there's like a difference to like, I know in Canada, certainly there's like that star meter is like not a thing. It's not the same way that it is in the United States in terms of like recognition and all the different opportunities. Like it definitely has, I don't know what the word is to like properly describe it, but it just, yeah, it definitely has like a different feel to it. I would say, says the person that's also not ever been in your shoes. Um, okay, so you've never really trained. What does that mean? Obviously, you've trained, but like. No, I've trained more as a wrestler than I have as a singer. Okay, how is this possible to hear Phantom of the Opera for the first time and like have that lump in your throat, being a hockey player, enforcer, like not that theater guy, to now having this like beautifully tuned instrument that is your voice? How the hell did you do that? Renee, a lot of, a lot of people will uh, argue that beautifully tuned remark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. I am not a precision singer. I'll tell you that much. Fuck them. That's what I say. Well, you're stuck with me. Yeah. (laughs) Take it or leave it. This is what I'm bringing to the table. Well, for me, it's about heart and passion. And for some reason, they're bringing me to do this role. Then I'm going to give you my interpretation. Love it or hate it. And I don't mind the hating. Indifference. (laughs) I have a problem with that. I remember getting a tweet once. They said, you're overrated. I tweeted back, well, at least I'm rated. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take it. Good or bad. Yeah, it's it's the in-between part that's a little muddy. I feel like my voice is not where it used to be. I don't know if that's because it's out of practice. Nick Yarnstein's not like a Valjean or a Phantom or even what I did in Anastasia. So maybe it's just a product of, you know, you work out a certain way, you get a certain physique or a certain strength. I need to change it up a bit. But it was all about storytelling. When I hear great singers... I don't listen to the quality of the voice. It's never something that was something I would measure. Joe Cocker singing You Are So Beautiful barely hits the note. Show me a better version because I want his heart. I want his imperfections or hers in what Tracy Chapman does. And I don't want to hear perfection. Perfection's boring. It's boring. Yeah, I know you're right. You want, you want your record to be a little scratched up. Audiences are paying for transitions, for storytelling to be transported. If you want perfect singing, listen to an album or I'm not your guy, but <laughs> I will give you that Iranian passion. <laughs> you know? Yeah, here it comes. Here it comes. Um, okay, so uh, the Pirates of Penzance, you got to work with David Hyde Pierce. I am a Frasier enthusiast. How great was he to work with? Let's just have a David Hyde Pierce powwow here because Wow. It's a, one of the reasons I said yes to the job without considering anything else. I'm like, to be in a room with him, I'm going to be better for it. And I'm not a smart man. I know shit about shit. And I get so nervous about people that I really look up to, who I find intelligent and talented. Man, he made me feel so comfortable, so empowered. Felt like I was talking to a mate, like on breaks. He would just sit down and we start talking. And like part of me was to throw up out of nerve. <laughs> But he was just so kind and so generous. We're a fan because he's so good at what he does. He was just phenomenal watching him work and to play these scenes with him. Like we had to go toe to toe. And I'm like, what a gift. I'll never forget that to do this comedy with him and work out and learn from him about comedy timing and to really get these scenes to come to life. And it really came together on the night. So I hope we have another go at that with him. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, yeah, you want to talk about that comedic timing literally every night for probably, gosh, dare I say, like at least like the last probably six years, we go to bed watching Frasier almost every night. And there's, I mean, we've to think of how many times it's been on like loop as we're like falling asleep and just like 
the way that uh, Niles Crane, the way he just like reacts to things like he's just such a special character. I mean, obviously, he's got an incredible body of work outside of Frasier, but that is where my my love of David Hyde Pierce comes from. So the fact that you got to work with him is wow. So cool. And just so effortless, so effortless on a stage. And it's like everyone would just be drawn to him and the way he held himself. It was a masterclass. Who else's masterclass would you like to attend to work with? Sam Rockwell. Oh, okay. Good one. He can do anything. He's pretty special. I'd love to do something with Kathy Bates. I love her work. Yes. I have a chance to learn from her. She's so great. I mean, when you think of uh, uh, Misery to uh, the water boy, (laughs) she's done a little bit of everything. She's the best. But yeah, Sam Rockwell to me, man, what an actor. Do you want to do more film and television? Is that something that you would like to to get more into? Yeah, absolutely. Also, um, just to be diverse to straddle both sides, it's been great to do that. There's um, a few things on the card now, but it's just trying to just juggle it with the Funny Girl schedule. And What's the schedule like for Funny Girl right now? How much how much longer do you guys have? I don't know. I got to check because it's all been. I, I don't know what Leah's contract it is. Her contract is to mine. I need to check that out. I don't know. Until they tell me. I'll stick around for a little longer. Okay. (laughs) Just keep going. (laughs) I got kids to feed. How do you balance that between like seeing your family and stuff when you are working like nose to the grindstone like that? Like how do you find the balance to live life outside of a grueling schedule like that? I don't. And they live in England. So I'm not going to lie. That's not been great. And uh, I don't have an answer to that because this is a long haul. And we've done this so many times, and I think we took it for granted that oh, that's just the way our life is, but it's not it's not giving the nutrients you need. You can't do that from a distance. So that's that's really tough, to be honest. And uh, I don't know. We've got to figure that out. Do you get lonely when you're on the road like this? Or not on the road, you're there. But what is that like? You're in the hotel and stuff by yourself? or 100%. Like, I got a beautiful uh, apartment, you know, so this is... I got 360 views, so I'm very well taken care of when it comes to that. But I don't know. I'm I'm also at that age now where you just think, where do you, how do you get that balance? I remember years ago, a manager of a famous band, we were having drinks in Soul House one night and we were talking. And I remember he said, both can't be on par. You either have an extraordinary career and then the, your personal life will have to negotiate, aka suffer, or this. But to get the balance... He goes, I've yet to see it. And I'll never forget that conversation. And now I'm like, oh my God, he's right. Doesn't it kind of break your heart to hear that though and know that it's true? Because I feel like so often you're like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. It's fine. It's fine. And then when you're in it, you're like, oh my gosh, where's my life preserver? It's like, how do we figure this out? It can be, uh, yeah, it's, it's sad when you're in it and you're trying to figure it out. And there's been the added pressure of the two years of the pandemic we had where it sucked a lot of our lifeline. and so. I'm making up for that. There is the flip side. I'm very fortunate. Look at all this opportunity. Even in the last three months, I've played a wrestler, a pirate, <laughs> Nikki Arnstein. And there's a couple other things on the card that I got to either turn down or say yes to because, you know, there's a line in Funny Girl, you can get lonesome being that busy. And I'm keeping myself so busy right now because I don't want idle time. 
it is really hard to find that balance. You know, I was saying at the very beginning of this show, it's like I, you know, John and I are so lucky that we're in the same line of work. We're on the road together a lot of time. His schedule is so much lighter now than it ever used to be. So like, thank God for that. But um, especially now having a kid, we've got a daughter trying to find what that balance is. And, you know, even as you think about it, you're like, man, like I love the idea of bringing my daughter to wrestling shows. I love the idea of her watching me work, watching John work. But that can only last for so long. And then life kind of goes on. Your kid has to go to school. There has to be normalcy for your kid that and we're pretty far from having to cross that bridge. But it's something that I think about, too, where it's like, oh, cool, like I can give you this really great, extraordinary life. You might not even want that. That might not be a thing that you're even interested in or God, am I screwing my kid up by bringing them on the road and having them live in a hotel? Like it's so hard to know what's right and what's wrong. Knowing what I know now, I think I would recommend sacrificing as long as you're together traveling. That's the better sacrifice to have or the hardship to have. I know that's not easy either, but you know, sometimes it's like when people give their unsolicited advice about, well, you know, you could just get a job back home. I'm like, well, if I could, also the opportunities here. And also we can't hug the bills away, <laughs> you know, it is what it is, especially now the cost of living, especially in the UK is insane. In Canada too. Holy, my, my mom will call me about like just going to the grocery store. And we were just up in Canada two weeks ago and I could not believe how expensive things were there. It's wild. Every time I go grocery shopping, I'm like, what did I buy? I know. Oh my God. I went yesterday to go pick up stuff to make a white chicken chili. I spent $250. No. How? With all these hardships, it's not lost on me that I'm still in a very fortunate position. And I'm very grateful because I'm, we're gonna, we can get through this. I've got work. I'm doing something I really love. And, it, you know, that's life, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, there's, there's ups, there's downs, but you're right. I mean, the fact, God, the, the career that you've been able to have and what the road looks like ahead for you is, is so cool as you're going to continue to navigate that. And so excited to see what other projects you do have on the back burner, the ones that you have to either say yes or no to whatever those are going to look like. Very, very cool. But Ramin, I'm so happy that I got to have you here on the show. You're an absolute rock star. Um, I really hope that I can make it out to the last match, November 14th, Jersey City. I would oh, love to be do. there if for Emilio that. So. Can come. If John could come, there's a seat waiting for you. I'm, I'm, I'm in training for now. I mean, and don't think I'm not coming to Funny Girl, by the way. I mean. Let me know. I got house seats. <laughs> I will let you know for sure. They're, they're cheaper than the scalpers. Oh my God. What they're going for? Oh, I can only imagine. Has there been a show as hot as Funny Girl in a while? I feel like just like the buzz around everything going on with Funny Girl to like, I mean, I, again, I'm not like immersed in that world, but like from the outside, I'm like, oh, Funny Girl's a thing I've got to go to. And like, I think the last like Broadway show I went to was Spider-Man, but. <laughs> I think probably Hamilton was still be Oh, Hamilton, of course. Of course. Yeah. 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 Again knowing the still the state of our industry to have this hot ticket and grateful for, as you said, I've had two incredible leading ladies. So I'm in embarrassment of riches and just going strength to strength and looks like this is going to run for a bit. So that's very exciting. Buckle up and hold on. <laughs> All right, Ramin, hopefully I'll get to see you uh, in Jersey city in about two weeks. Awesome. We'll see you then. Bye. 
A big thanks to Ramin for hanging out with me, taking the time. I know he's obviously incredibly busy right now. I don't know how he actually had time to give me like an hour of his day when he's doing like eight shows a week. That will take it out of you. But yeah, super pumped that, that he could join me here on the show. So make sure that you're following Ramin. Uh, you can also, of course, through Matt Cardona as well. Those are probably the two best places. Let me just pull up Ramin's Instagram. Ramin, oh, that's just, it's just his name, Ramin Karamloo. Check him out. Follow all of his stuff uh, so you can find out about the last match because you guys don't want to miss that show if you're in that area Jersey City, they added on those two extra shows. And also, Funny Girl, if you're around and you're in New York and you want to see a great play, that is the one to get a ticket to right now. Again, kicking myself that I didn't get to last time I was in New York, but I did look it up and I really wanted to go. Just didn't happen. So next time I'm I'm out that way, you better believe that my ass will be there soaking it all up. This has been another episode of The Sessions. I appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.